Welcome to Respond. Here's your host, Stuart Gray. We were sitting together in a Costa coffee place. Genuine confusion played across my friend's face. He squinted at me as he spoke. Why spend your time writing and talking about God? What is it about these theological things that is so interesting to you? And why can't you just do something more useful with your time? I guess you're not doing anyone any harm thinking about this stuff, but I just don't get why you have to do it, Stuart. I cleared my throat. Well, okay, if you and I categorically knew that God didn't exist, then I would be wasting my time. But can we actually say that? Are we certain that God doesn't exist? Well, no, not exactly. I guess it's possible, but there's no real way to know. I scratched my head. That's where we disagree. After researching this and living as a Christian for decades of my life now, I'm pretty confident that we can actually know stuff about what God is like. And if I'm right, do I really waste my time writing and talking about God? If there's a being who's responsible for nature and everything that lives in it, and if he expects us to use the rational faculties that he gave us to do the work of getting to know him, well, am I burning time or am I investing it? Hi, and welcome to season one of the Respond podcast. You've just heard a dramatised version of a conversation that I've sometimes had with people that I care about. And at other times, I've sometimes wanted to have this conversation. It has inspired this podcast. What's my aim? We're going to spend 10 episodes exploring the evidence that suggests to me that God exists and that Christianity rather than any other worldview, is the way to get to know him. Now, if you're curious about Christianity, but you haven't taken the plunge to to visit church, then maybe think of this podcast as a way to listen in to some responses to questions that you might have. And if you've got questions that, that we don't tackle on this podcast, then please, please tweet me and let me know. You know, my hope is that that we will genuinely respond to the the issues that you might have about about Christian belief. And if you're already a Christian believer, then maybe you'll pick up some ideas that will help you respond to other people who, who question whether your Christian faith makes any sense. So, where do we begin? And is it going to be complicated? Well, I sure hope not. I might have studied and, and lived as a Christian for the, the majority of my life, but... That doesn't mean I'm an expert, it just means that hopefully I can give you a response that makes some sense and points you in the right direction. So here's the million dollar question. Where do we look to find evidence for God? You know, in the 5th century, St Augustine helped many people grapple with these and many other really important issues. St Augustine was himself someone who responded to questions. And so he is kind of like a historical signpost to God. And Augustine thought that God had written two books for us. 
And for the rest of this podcast, we're going to look at the first book that Augustine identified. He said this, Some people, in order to discover God, read books. But there is a great book, The Very Appearance of Created Things. Look above you. Look below you. Note it. Read it. God, whom you want to discover, never wrote that book with ink. Instead, he set before your eyes the things that he has made. Can you ask for a louder voice than that? Why, heaven and earth shout to you, God made me. Augustine's got an interesting point. He's saying that we can get to know God by studying nature. And whether you accept all the claims made by Darwin's theory of evolution or not, surely it's worth considering this as a possibility. Why? Well, do you realise that as scientists learn more and more about the universe that we live in, we discover more about how everything just seems right for life to exist. Whether you think life was specially created or it evolved, actually the universe is full of evidence that it's not the result of a random, unguided process. Rather, it seems like, incredibly, it's set up for life to exist. For example, we know that the matter in our universe is composed of subatomic particles called quarks and electrons, and they combine to compose atoms. But you know, the force inside each and every atom in your body is carefully set up so that the atom doesn't fly apart. This is called the strong nuclear force. And it's set just right for chemistry, physics, and therefore life to exist. If it was set only slightly differently, you and I wouldn't exist. Also, the masses of these tiny particles are important too. If the mass changed by a hair's breadth, scientists say chemistry would vanish. There'd be no elements, no biology, and nothing in the universe at all. You know, I read a, a great book recently that unpacks a lot of these issues. It's by Geraint Lewis and Luke Barnes, and the book's called A Fortunate Universe, Life in a Finely Tuned Cosmos. I really recommend that if you want to dig into some of these issues some more. But what about life itself? Does it show any evidence of, of design? Well, you know, biologist Michael Denton has an MD from Bristol University and he has a PhD in biochemistry from King's College in London. And some years ago, he wrote the book Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. He thinks the universe is fine-tuned for life in a way that exceeds what chance can achieve. Saying that we're all here just from the luck of the draw isn't sufficient for Michael Denton. Here's a great example of, of why he says that. Think about this. You and I, we're breathing air right now, right? You know, it's easy to take that air for granted because it's just there. But listen to why he thinks, actually, we shouldn't take air for granted. 
As you're sitting there, you're breathing there, relaxing, you're using up 250 mils of oxygen every minute. It's incredible. That's the, that's the amount of oxygen you need um, to maintain your energy levels. And you need about 20% or so oxygen in the atmosphere to get sufficient to, to feed your metabolic needs. The problem with needing so much oxygen in the atmosphere is that oxygen is dangerous because it's so reactive. If you have too much of it in the atmosphere, you can have spontaneous combustion. Fortunately, the form of oxygen prevalent in our lower atmosphere is diatomic. That means two atoms of oxygen typically combine together into a molecule. Diatomic oxygen happens to be much less reactive so long as the temperature is below 50 degrees centigrade or 122 degrees Fahrenheit. And this allows, in fact, the, a, a, a quite a high level of oxygen in the atmosphere without spontaneous combustion. The properties of diatomic oxygen mean our atmosphere has just the right level of oxygen we need for living. Not too little and not too much. If you raise the level of oxygen much more than 20%, perhaps certainly more than 30%, you'd have raging spontaneous fires all over the place here, okay? An equally serendipitous property of diatomic oxygen is that it does not absorb heat, which has helped prevent a massive increase in Earth's surface temperature that would wipe out life as we know it. If it had been a greenhouse gas, forget it, we wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> in fact, oxygen absorbs no incoming radiant heat because it's a diatomic molecule. So it goes on and on and on. There's one coincidence after another. The universe seems set up for the existence of life. But how about we now zoom out and uh, we change our focus from the microscopic to the immense. Think about the different planets in our solar system. You know, as cosmologists have, have studied the heavens for centuries now, we've begun to realise that the position of our solar system and of our planet Earth is perfectly situated for us to do science. And doing science helps us understand more about nature. By the way, scientific answers are the same, whether you believe there's a God or not. It's not the science that's the issue, it's our interpretation of the results. And more on that later. But you see, we've discovered that we have a carefully established habitat to live in. Our planet has a moon, which stabilises the Earth's orbit and, and makes our climate bearable for us. The planet has a magnetic field that shields us from solar rays. Our planet exhibits plate tectonics, and this supports a life-permitting ecosystem. If the Earth was any smaller or any bigger, we wouldn't be able to do science in the way that we can. You see, our solar system has lots of, of planets that shield the Earth from continual asteroid strikes, and our solar system is positioned perfectly in the Milky Way galaxy to give us a great view so that we can observe, so that we can study. How amazing! Now, many people today will just put that evidence down to chance. The anthropic principle says we're here, and that's just the way it is. But hang on. We live in the best science lab in the universe and we're sitting at the prime spot in the lab. Surely that requires some sort of explanation. As Michael Denton said, the coincidences go on and on and on. Chance processes alone are incapable of accounting 
for those continual coincidences. Now, maybe you think that only nature exists and, and God doesn't. Well, let me ask the question. Is it rational to ignore all the evidence for a universe set up for life just because the idea of a creator doesn't fit into our own preferred naturalistic box? That doesn't sound very open-minded to me. And besides, if the universe did exist for a purpose, from science alone, how could we tell? I'm not sure we could. What if the universe has a an amazing purpose that we've missed. I wonder whether it's presumptuous really for the naturalist to accept our habitat and the opportunity that we have for scientific analysis without considering the possibility that both of these things could be an amazing extravagant gift from our creator. Now you might respond to me on this and say, but Stuart, I can't see God directly. How do I know he's there? And I I get what you mean. And yet, I think God's fingerprints might be all over nature. Finding God's fingerprints in nature is a bit like what the police do when they arrive at a crime scene. Now, they don't usually have the criminal standing there admitting to them, here I am, I did it. Well, no. <laughs> No, usually they have to explore the crime scene for clues and then they form a logical hypothesis for the explanation of the evidence they've got. Hopefully these ideas lead them to the person who committed the crime. And remember, the police detective's senses are really important in that because they allow him to perceive, to see, to feel and discover the perpetrator indirectly through the evidence. They perceive the perpetrator indirectly before they finally see him directly as they snap their handcuffs around him. You know, maybe our senses will not allow us to sense God directly in the here and now, but they do allow us to see pointers towards him. Now, if you're following my argument here, you might object, hang on, you are not making a case for Christianity. You're just arguing that there is a God. Well, yeah, exactly right. I'm starting to make the case. But I'm convinced that Christianity gives you the best way of getting to know the God that's revealed in nature. And I'll give you more reasons for that in the coming episodes. Let's press pause and reflect for a moment. I don't know how life is going for you just at the moment. Um... I don't know whether things are okay or whether it's really challenging. Uh, you might be going through some really tough times right now. So you'd be justified in asking, you know, what do, what do God's fingerprints on nature say to me in the depths of my situation? Well, I think they may say two things. First, God cares about humanity. After all, if he set everything up for us in the first place, giving us the best seat in the universe and if he keeps everything ticking along for us then surely he must care but more than that secondly he cares about me and my situation Jesus once said these words look at the birds of the air they don't have jobs or work hard and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they are?
Well, I think Jesus's point is, birds are important to God, but you and I are even more important. So this week, why not try inviting God into, into that situation you're facing? Whatever it is, ask him to bring you the peace and the strength that you need to get through it. Okay, reflection over. I'm pressing play again. Let's draw these strands together now. We've said God has written this book of nature and he wants us to use our minds to grapple with it. Is there a God? Well, yeah, his fingerprints are all over our universe and actually our lives as well. God wrote the book of nature. But remember at the start I mentioned St Augustine? Well, he said that God also gave us a second book to go along with the book of nature. And it's called the Bible. And in the next episode, I'm going to respond to the question, can you know whether or not the Bible contains God's special words written to us? See you next week.